I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Richard Westreich. He is a New York City plastic surgeon pursuing his passion for music and drawing attention to critical issues along the way. When Dr. Richard Westreich is not performing rhinoplasty, facial contouring, or upper eyelid surgery at his New York City practice, he's pursuing his passion for music and helping local artists along the way. His band, Big Rich Energy, is currently on tour in New York City, and all of the band's proceeds go to charities that support local artists and music education. He also uses his music to draw attention to critical issues such as gun violence. Dr. Westreich has been recognized multiple times as one of the top doctors in facial plastic surgeries. He's been selected multiple times by Castle Conley and New York Magazine as one of the top doctors in facial plastic surgery. He can be seen regularly on several national news programs, including ABC, CBS, Fox, and Newsmax. Welcome to the show, Dr. Westreich. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. As we said, I think we both, I guess, concurred that it was probably two years ago during COVID, although I think we still are during COVID, but just a little <laughs> bit different in context. Am I right? I mean, you're the doctor. Um, we're evolving in terms of the pandemic. Um, yeah, you know, endemic, I guess, is what they want to what they want to call it now. Um, but yeah, still, still, definitely not out of it. Um, but at least, I, hopefully, for you, for me, most things have gone ninety-five percent back to normal. <laughs> yeah, or are we, which is pretty good. Uh, yeah, ninety-five percent back to normal, or never back to the way it was. We always go forward, right? And that, that's mm-hmm. what it seems to me that you always do. You have, uh, you're a physician and a musician, so you are. Uh, you followed your, you use your skills in both, I'm obviously, and then you have a passion for both. So how do the two connect? Well, I think they connect from primarily through my left brain. <laughs> um, you know, plastic surgery, especially facial plastic surgery, and especially rhinoplasty, are very kind of sculptural interventions from the standpoint of um, you're really creating shapes and forms um, using surgical technique, but ultimately just like, you know, painting a picture, uh, you're creating highlights and shadows and contour variations. And that's a very kind of creative exercise provided that you, that you look at it that way and not just like it's a recipe that you're going through steps. And so I think one of the reasons why I, ultimately became a plastic surgeon was because I think that really appealed to, you know, areas of my brain that, that like to be active. Um, and I think the music is kind of a very similar area of the brain. Um, and I was really very passionate about music in my youth. I hate to say that, <laughs> but it's true. Um, and then I sort of got away from it for a while. And um, I would say one of the things that I got out of COVID was, you know, with all the extra time and, and other, other changes to life, like I actually really spent a lot of time re-exploring, you know, my creative side and the things that I wanted to do. I, I also started painting during COVID and 
learned how to paint and um, became very um, avid in, in, in doing that for a while. Uh, I still do that, but I think music then wound up replacing some of that expression uh, with the painting. So, you know, for me, COVID was a very positive time in life, I guess, from an introspective standpoint. Um, but I think that's how they all kind of tie together. Uh, I just think that's the way I'm wired. So in, in terms of your music, how do you find time? Well, how do you find time to, to do, as you described, uh, your cosmetic plastic surgeon? For most people, that's a full-time job. For you, it's not, obviously. <laughs> you're an artist, you're a painter, um, you're, yeah, and then you're a musician. So, yeah, I mean, that's just time-wise, how do you do it? Like you said, during COVID, it gave you an opportunity to explore these areas that you don't necessarily have time to do. So now, how do you do it? I mean, you're on tour in New York City, and I'm going to ask you, where are you on tour in New York City? What are the <laughs> venues? <laughs> so that's the second so, question. Um, we, well, we just we just wrapped up uh, two weeks ago, and I am taking a two-month break uh, before we start doing some shows in the fall. Um, yeah, I mean, time is always a, a critical issue. I mean, I'm a plastic surgeon. I'm a father. I have a family. I have children. Um, I suppose I just really try to make the most out of every moment in my day. Um, and fortunately, I'm also somebody that doesn't need a ton of sleep. Um, which can, you know, I guess cut both ways. But uh, so, you know, if I get six hours of sleep, I'm functional. So I think I just find the time whenever it's available. And uh, one of the things that's nice about music, which was one of the things that I learned during COVID, because the last time that I'd stepped away from music, I was still recording on cassette. <laughs> just to give you a time frame of you well, know, how yeah. many years that might have been. So I learned digital recording, and so I, and it doesn't take a lot of equipment. So I have a digital recording studio in my house um, or in my apartment, I should say, and so it's always accessible, um, and that's I think made things very easy from the standpoint of being being able to create um, new music. Is that I can record it in pieces whenever I have the opportunity, um, and you know. I'm, I suppose I'm quite facile at it. it. It doesn't take, you know, more than a couple hours to at least produce like a functional demo, which then I can bring to the band, um, and, and we can practice it. So it's it's fairly efficient, uh, given the digital recording, and so I think that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, you just got to find the time, and um, I think when you're passionate about something, at least in my experience the time just always seems to materialize. I think that's really critical. I mean, I know they talk a lot, they talk a lot about it today, but you can be very skilled. You can be, you know, have a, a, an expert in whatever your field is, but if you don't have the passion, it, it doesn't work in the same way. Cause, and you're a perfect example of that, um, both as a musician and a physician. But I'm going to go back and forth, but, as a physician, you were describing yourself as an artist. You know, you're creating a new face uh, in some cases. Have there any been any time when, when you do it and you've done the surgery and afterwards, and the surgery went well, but the patient didn't like what you did? <laughs> and I you mean, had to... Uh, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, obviously you want that to 
be a minority of the time, and um, fortunately, it's it's the minority of the time. Um, I would say a great number of those situations, um, you can you can provide solutions, and as long as you continue to strive towards making them happy, you know, out of the let's just throw out a number, 1% of people that may fall into that category, you can make 90% of that 1% um, happy uh, by just continuing to, you know, uh, maybe do another surgery or a little tweak or something um, to kind of move the needle in the right direction. And I think that's, um, again, really important. You know, it's, I tell my patients, it's, this is biological sculpture. So it'd be a lot easier if it was marble. You know, you make it, it stays for, you know, thousands of years, but, you know, from the moment at the end of the surgery to, you know, six or 12 months later, you know, these tissues are actually evolving and changing as they settle and heal. And so you can't always predict things. And the way that one person heals and the way that another person heals is different. Um, and I do a lot of revision surgery, not necessarily on my own patients, obviously on, on other patients. And it's interesting because when you're doing a revision, I almost find it um, easier in some ways because you now have more information about how the person reacted to the first surgery, right? So you can modify based on that new information that you didn't have. Um, Say if you do an operation on somebody and they don't contour as much as you expected, well, now you have that information and so you can be more aggressive from the contouring standpoint, um, knowing that you're not going to get the full result that you see at the time of surgery. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it makes sense because as I guess you gave the the comparison, it's 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 not written in stone. Once you sculpt something out of marble, that's it. But in this case, what you're saying is, okay, you do it, and you may do everything right as a surgeon, but how the patient's skin reacts or how their physical health reacts over, what did you say, 9 to 12 months, makes a huge difference and impacts the surgery. Um, and I think a lot of patients or people who are thinking about having surgery don't really think about that, I guess. I mean, I assume that's something that you talk to your patients about before you actually do the surgery. That it's, Yeah, I'm yeah. very consistent and kind of the information that I, that I give them. One of, the, one of the things I like to say in most consults um, is, you know, you know, I ask them a question. I say, what's the difference between an explanation and an excuse? And you know, the answer is timing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I tell them all these things before surgery, um, if there are any particular things that are, you know, concerning from their kind of anatomical standpoint, like I talk about all those things beforehand so that if that comes to pass, they're, they're aware. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. And plus, you know, it's supposed to be informed consent. Um, and, you know, from a medical standpoint, that's really easy. These are the risks, you know, these are the numbers and everything else. But with cosmetic surgery, you know, I, I think informed consent should include um, conversations about, you know, where things may not get to what, what, what we were hoping for and how do we deal with that. Um, so I'm, you... I'm a bit comprehensive. <laughs> yeah, and that's my next question. Like, are there, P after a consult, initial consult, are there individuals you would say, 
you really aren't a candidate for surgery. Maybe from just a psychological perspective, you don't think they're going to be, you know, I'm a social worker, so that they just might not be able to handle it. Even if you give them all the information, you're not making excuses, you're explaining, but you feel as a physician, this isn't going to work. They're not going to be able to handle it. Do you say, can't do it? Yeah. Won't do it? I mean, it's, um, it's unfortunate when those situations come up because they're, they're challenging. Um, but I think everyone that does this um, has sort of a responsibility to, you know, not move forward if they don't think somebody is ready emotionally or psychologically uh, for the process and, and the procedure itself. I say it manifests in a variety of ways. I mean, probably the most common thing is, um, you know, somebody who continues to ask the same questions over and over and over again. Um, those are situations where, you know, they're just not processing, you know, the answers. And so, you know, after a couple of times, if there's a, a high degree of anxiety um, also underlying it, then sometimes it is best just to step away and give them, you know, an opportunity to sort of regroup. And a certain subset of those patients will kind of come back with like a a more relaxed mindset and be able to kind of go through the process and get the surgery done, but, but some don't. Um, you know, I even once had to cancel surgery like the day, the night before, um, which was really terrible. But, you know, at the same time, um, we kept meeting and there seemed to be a resolution. And, and then maybe a week later, like all the same things would come up again. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't feel like, you know, having the surgery was going to diminish their level of anxiety. Um, so, yeah, you have to do those things. You also have to look out for patients that might suffer from, you know, body dysmorphic disorder. Um, and certainly the other real significant issue is if somebody is doing the surgery for external gratification, um, like if um, they're trying to make their husband or wife happy or they're trying to do it for career advancement, or let's say an actor, for example, who is trying to do it in order to either take on new roles or keep the roles that they, they're having without kind of aging out. Um, those situations are challenging because you can get a perfect result. And then if the external gratification doesn't come to pass, then the patient's going to blame the surgery. Um, so those are a few of the things you kind of look out for. Yeah, and that's a good example. I was thinking is uh, my question was going to be is it just taking somebody's partner for instance if it's is that a family affair and I guess you've answered the question. Yes, the patient may be feeling or the potential patient may be feeling pressured to get the surgery but doesn't really want to get it or the opposite, the like in in a couple where the the patient wants surgery but their partner doesn't want them to you know doesn't want them to get the surgery. Um, you know, take the risk. There's always some risk, obviously, in surgery, um, which be, yeah, would be another, absolutely. yeah, another example. Um, and, you know, in terms of uh, well, breast augmentation. You know, breast uh, augmentation. I, I mean, I can name you two or three cases where that I'm familiar with, where women had surgery because their partners wanted them to have it, and they didn't necessarily want to, but felt pressurized to do it to have bigger breasts, for instance. Yeah, and also um, another uh, thing to think about is 
um, you know, if you're having issues in your relationship and you just are hoping that becoming more attractive is going to bring your partner, you know, back in and sort of help solve the relationship. I mean, that manifests in a lot of ways. I'm sure you could probably expand on, you know, it's like getting a dog or having children or buying a new house. Um, you know, people will do things to try and kind of save their relationship. Um, but, you know, obviously having cosmetic surgery is probably not going to save your relationship. <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, that's a situation you want to try and stay out of as a surgeon. Right. Yeah. All right. Getting back to the music now, because we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, the band. Yeah. All right. Talk. Yeah. The band, your position in the band. And I know you, as I said in the beginning, in the intro, you contribute uh, the monies that you make from the band, the millions that you make from the band. Oh, yes. You know, Um, I was, I was fully expecting to be on tour with Bon Jovi by this point, but, uh, you know, we'll just blame COVID. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, Obviously, over over time, one would one would hope that those um, that the the revenue stream would go up, so I'd be able to you know kind of give more to um, those charities. Interestingly, I'm actually trying to become um, like an official uh, 501c3 um, for the music and and art um, in terms of just being able to pass those funds on very cleanly to um, the organizations. But even even despite that. I would say it's been very rewarding. Um, one organization in particular, um, the Musicians Foundation, uh, the representatives have come to the concerts and spoken at the concerts, and um, and uh, I think they've been very appreciative of the support. And I think there's lots of really wonderful organizations like that, um, so I'd love to be able to do more. Um, but, you know, music is not the easiest industry to get uh, noticed, and... and um, you know, so fortunately, there's some merchandise sales that also um, have given some revenue to contribute to these organizations. And I, I would say that the, the Big Rich Energy merchandise is probably on par with the ticket sales. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great because in, in my experience, when we were talking about COVID earlier, the, um, organ- the professionals or that have suffered I don't know, I'm saying maybe the most or one of the most are musicians, obviously, uh, who are out of work and had no other revenue coming in, no opportunities to make any other monies. And, and that's been a, a real struggle for them. So this is so what you're doing is great. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and really. I think my first, the- my first show in February was like the week that Arlene's Grocery is one of the music halls in New York um, actually officially reopened. So, you know, I mean, put it into context, I mean, that's only six months ago um, that live music venues actually reopened. And to be honest, I think there's still a a significant part of the population that's afraid to even go to these things. Um, So I think musicians have definitely struggled. Um, Obviously, we know about Broadway and actors, um, but I think all the people in creative um, fields there was there was no audience for almost two years, which is yeah. astounding. Yeah, yeah, and I was one of those people who would go and with my masks on. It was actually just recently that uh, you, a lot that you could take your masks off, so people were afraid to go. What about the other musicians in your group? Um, are they all surgeons? <laughs> uh, no, I I have uh, 
all professional musicians in the group with me, um, which is nice, um, you know, because that's another way of supporting, right? Yeah. So I I support them personally. Um, There's there's one other plastic surgeon that I really wanted to be in the group with me, but um, he just had a, a new baby, so he has too much on his agenda. But I am optimistic that in end of 2022-23, I will be able to bring him in. He is a fabulous guitarist. He's a fabulous guitarist. And who else? Namely, your, your what you do uh, in, so in the I, group. Okay, so yeah. I, I'm primarily a vocalist. Yeah. It's hard to... Hard to tell at 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe by the sound <laughs> of my voice, but I am sound a good. fabulous uh, vocalist. Um, I compose and write all the music that we play. Um, and so I do play drums, piano, guitar, bass, and sing. But um, I would say besides singing, everyone else is so much better than me at these other instruments that I want to put the best product out. So when I do a show, I just sing. And how did you come up? Big Rich Energy. How did you come up? Did you come up with the title? Or was this a group a group process? Um, well, a friend of mine actually came up with it. We were trying to think of names because I'd had a cover band uh, before COVID that was playing around the city, and, and we had called ourselves Bourbon and Botox. Uh, but then <laughs> I decided that it sounded too much like a plastic surgery um, event and and so we were just trying to come up with names that had the word rich in it and then big energy like you know you googled it and big energy um or rich energy came up sorry and uh and then you know she put two and two together and, and this was right you know about six or seven months ago when uh that phrasing was becoming very popular with big blank energy, no matter what. It was everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, so it just it just worked. And, I, and then I was like, well, if the website is available, then that's the name. So right. when I looked up bigrichenergy.com, it was available. And I said, that's the name. <laughs> yeah, great name. I like it. So we have a couple minutes left. So And so you're doing so many things. So um, give us a website and or websites that we can go to to find out and to follow you um follow the band so, um, and yeah, also thank follow you. the plastic and surgery yeah so my my um professional website is uh newfaceny or newfacenewyork.com uh fortunately my um instagram and tiktok are both newfaceny uh for the band obviously i said before is bigrichenergy.com and uh if you're an instagram person it's at Big Rich Energy Band. And um, if you want to listen to my music, the music is published under my name and it's on Spotify and, uh, and most of the streaming services. So that's just on, under Richard Westreich. Great. Great talking to you. It's always good talking to you. Lots of good information, Dr. Richard Westreich. And you can follow him. Thank you and, so much. Uh, yeah. yeah. Talk to you again. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show this morning. My pleasure. Hope to talk to you again soon. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 